Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter, and along with me is... Jonathan Pridget. And today we are continuing part two of responding to everything genetically modified skeptic has ever said about atheism. In this video, we'll be talking about what he thinks you lose if you become religious. We got Dr. Braxton Hunter, pretty talented and well-known apologist, shared the stage with the William Lane Craigs to the Mike Laconas to all those guys. Jonathan Pritchett, Dr. Pritchett is here and he is a New Testament guy and does a lot of stuff, a lot of podcasts, a lot of debates, so on and so forth. So is the guy on the left Jerry Lewis and uh, Braxton's trying to be Dean Martin here? <laughs> the straight guy and the funny guy? They gave us nothing but tradition and no argument. All they did was get on this stage, yell real loud, and set a straw man on fire. Okay, now, this, it, I, I, I was not impressed. I need a dumb guy. Do I have any volunteers who wants to be my sidekick, the dumb guy? Respectfully, that sounds like a little bit of a dodge. I'm claiming victory. It's where I come from, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And we're back. Let's get this show on the road. I like his hair. You know, when I was a barber, that's, you still are a barber. I, I still am a licensed barber. I pay my 50 bucks every year, and I kind of practice on fellow employees. Not you, of course, because you have no hair to cut. But um, I'm my own barber. Right. I can tell. I'll tell you what, though. I gashed my head open just before I went out of town last week. Mm -hmm. It never happens, but I'm a pretty moly guy. I got moles everywhere, high mm -hmm. risk for melanoma skin cancer. And anyway, I was shaving the back of my head and gashed it open, and it just bled for at least 12 hours yeah you, so if you nick your occipital bone um it'll bleed for by the way since this is an episode of trinity radio where a little we're a little bit more casual that's what mm. people seem to like right um people have asked me what is this mug you use when you're in this studio rather than the other one and this is uh my you too the joshua uh, tree official joshua tree Bono Ed, from from right to left. Bono Edge, Larry Mullen, no Adam and Larry Mullen Jr. That was a gift from uh, our vice president of internal affairs here at Trinity. She always gets me something either Indiana Jones related or U two related. And nobody asked you what that. She was. she knows me. No, they really did. So they really did. Yeah, really? yeah. Okay. So uh, quit trying to quit trying to shut down my my mojo or whatever here. All right. So uh, this guy, if you didn't already see it, when we were in the. Um, I saw this earlier, mm -hmm. and I've seen something that you produced with him already, but I don't know if anyone else has seen it yet. Uh, as we're recording this, it's out there. Oh, it is? Okay. Yeah. So the only reason I did that, I hope it doesn't take views away from, I hope it feeds views to this video. Yeah. But, <laughs> but he has a popular haircut from the year 2000. Oh, that's what you wanted to get to. Yeah, yeah. and that's how I used to have my hair. I, if, he would take, if he would take a ridiculous amount of gel or bedhead, and rub it in that hair, and then push the front down, and then give it a little swoop up in the front. You mean like that a is, wave? Yeah, like the the Sugar Ray type. That was like the quintessential uh, '90s Late haircut. Late '90s, yeah. Yeah. This moved on to 2000. This moved on to I care even less. No gel involved. Right. No, yeah. there's hair product there. You think he's using hair product? Yes. It's not like my greasy look, matty hair because I put gel in this. Yeah, his hair looks clean. Yes, <laughs> my hair looks. <laughs> Horrible. Yeah. But I used to get my hair cut every two weeks in the barbershop, you know, and now it's I get my hair cut twice a year. Yeah. I don't even care. 
And I think you kind of look cool when you grow your hair out a little bit longer, like it is now. Like you have that kind of man of steel look for those uh, people. Oh, I could do a little pull that down and yeah. And that's bringing us around to this guy's apparently a comic book fan. Now he's unfortunately Mm -hmm. a Marvel fan over a DC fan. It looks like that's fine. Those are all, if I'm not mistaken, Marvel characters. But at least the Daredevil poster is not the Ben Affleck Daredevil poster. Yeah, but it is the uh, new Captain Marvel, but that's a cool-looking Captain Marvel. Yeah. I don't know much about Black but, Panther. But it, as long as it's not the Ben Affleck Daredevil, it's fine. Yeah. That was uh, so, a terrible movie. So, all right. Uh, we, I, you know, on the surface, I feel like I have some, some at least geek things in common with this fellow. Mm-hmm. But let's uh, move on. So, in the last video, you, we, I went through every video on this playlist of – Genetically Modified Skeptics Atheism Playlist, which I think is the vast majority, if not pretty well everything he has related to the God debate on his channel. So uh, one video, an hour and 28 minutes responding to the whole channel. It was the first time I've ever tried to do something Did that you ambitious. respond to the essential oil stuff? No, 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 that's not the God stuff. Well, kind of, because part of his story is I found out that essential oils were bunk, and I think Christianity is bunk, and there are some similarities in how people think related to those things Mm. so anyway um yeah but uh so let's let's jump in here what we're doing here is one specific video i'm probably with him on the essential oils thing though i don't know and i made a big point about that i don't know i know there are some people in the homeschool co-op that both of our kids go to that swear by this that swear by this stuff and i don't want to offend them unnecessarily i have not looked into the research on this Okay, I, it's like those people who insist that you eat kale and you'll be Superman. No, it doesn't work. So I'm holding out uh, reservations about making any kind of statements, uh, not because I'm being duped by it, but because I don't know anything about it. But you anyway, know, a dollar at the Dollar Tree will get you some lotion. Have fun. That's all you, you know. So, and you could do when, that when right. When you're ashy, ne- just get some lotion. You could do that right next to Planet Fitness, where you that, signed that's up. That's right. Yeah. We're now bus marketing for Planet Fitness. But um, okay, now. This particular video is, uh, what's the name of this video? Let's see. Uh, let's see. This is What You Lose by Being Religious, an Atheist Response to Pascal's Wager. This is a, apparently an influential video, 76,000 views. And so Genetically Modified Skeptic here is going to, but the point is, if you didn't see the other video, go watch that. You know what I like about this video? What's that? Six minutes. Yeah, I mean, not even now. We're not going to put it. I need to make sure it's not on double speed. And the reason for that is because some people got upset because they listen to us on double speed. Mm. Like when you put that on double speed, we're at like four times speed or something. So so we can't do that. But anyway, all right, uh, let's go. Thank you feel. I'm in a hurry to get y'all over with. Yeah, it's like listening to us as a chore. I don't mind. Yeah, they still clicks the video. And here's the thing about it. I do that to everyone, too. Mm. So anyway, all right, let's jump in here. I don't. And let's begin hearing what he has to say. Turn out to be wrong, then you've lost nothing. But if you don't believe oh, in God... And t- we may need to run him back. Pascal's wager. If you believe in God and presumably follow him and turn out to be wrong, then you've lost nothing. But if you don't believe in God and turn out to be wrong, then you lose everything. We've all heard this argument debunked a thousand times. No. People will argue that yeah, yeah. you can't just choose to believe in what God. What we've heard is that people don't like this argument, that you can use it with any religion, blah, 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 blah. Irrelevant. Doesn't matter. If Christianity is true, it still stands. Right? Yeah. Let's go ahead and say what we think about Pascal's wager. I like Pascal's. I like Blaise Pascal. Let me tell you something. We're YouTube people. He's a YouTube person. If you read the great books of the Western world put out by Encyclopedia Britannica, you know who you find in there? Yes. 
If you at the Harvard Classics, you know who's in there. The Pentius plays Pascal. Right. And we're on YouTube. So let's let's have a little bit of respect for that because we're not instrumental in the foundations of Western thought, okay? Right. We're on YouTube. So not yet. Pascal is <laughs> read Pascal. He's a yeah. brilliant person. Um and, and there's more to him than the wager. Oh, right. So yeah, and and uh, you need to read those books. Seriously, read those books. We yeah. we had to read them in our programs at seminary and stuff. And you read them as a kid because you were a freak. Like uh, I was a kid, teenager. No, you've got it took me from like uh, you've got weird freak 15. IQ superpowers. No, no, my my parents were readers, and so they instilled in me to read books. I did too. Read. I just read I just read those comic books. And okay, stuff. so when I was it was it was the great books of the Western world, and then it was Star Wars books. And the I was really into the the first. No, I read the Star Wars books. Yeah, I was you. into the. Yeah, I liked the Stand by Stephen King. Did not read the Stand, uh, and I liked the first four books of the Dark Tower series. And I remember as a teenager waiting forever for him to get from the um, the wastelands to Wizard and Glass, and it took. Like people are now waiting for us to forever for us right. to get to the. But then content. then he dumps the last three books pretty quickly. After I'm an adult and I stopped caring, but I read it and I, I liked the way it ended. Then the movie came out and it was terrible. I did not. I read Stephen King some, but not the more obviously supernatural type stuff. I read. I liked his books that were more grounded, and I don't know why that is because I like supernatural well, paranormal type the, stuff. The Stand and um, the Dark Tower series are not horror. I mean, there's a mm -hmm. little bit of elements of that, but they're more fantasy. Than but they are, are like metaphysical type. You know, like, yeah. doesn't he like, well, I don't want to ruin it, but doesn't he like come back around to Spoiler himself? Spoiler alert at some for point? a book that's been yeah. out for 40 years. <laughs> but isn't he kind of like he puts himself in it somewhere? Oh, like, yeah, I guess meta in the yeah. last book. Yeah. And the dark, okay. that's in the last Dark Tower. Okay. Yeah. So let's get back to it. So, okay. so Pascal's great. Here's my thoughts on the Pascal's wager argument. I actually give a variation of it in an old blog article that's called "Instead of Pascal's Wager, You Should Go with Braxton's Best Bet." Mm, but yeah, um, but anyway, uh, the the if we were to get philosophical about it, the Pascal's Wager argument, if it were framed as an argument, would be a quadrilemma argument. So there, he doesn't put it this way, but like if Christianity is false and you don't believe it, you've lost nothing. If Christianity is true and you don't believe it, you've lost, uh, you have hell to pay, literally. Mm -hmm. If, uh, uh, and then if atheism is false, I, people are going to tell me, atheism is a lack of belief, it can't be false. Mm -hmm. But if atheism is false and you are a Christian, then you, uh, no, let's see. If Yeah, if atheism is false and you're a Christian, then you haven't lost anything. If atheism is true and you're a Christian, you still haven't lost anything. And what he's wanting to press on here is, no, you have lost something. If atheism is true and you opted for some religion, we're going to specifically think he's talking about Christianity here because we're he's, Christians. and he was. So, yeah. uh, so he's saying, no, you have lost something. You've lost quite a bit. And in this video, he's going to lay out what well, we let, what Let's see lost. what we lost. All right, let's find out. God, or that there are thousands of gods, so the wager really creates a false dichotomy. But I have a different take on the subject. But, Don't get me wrong; those are great arguments. Oh but wait, I think that so so the typical criticisms of Pascal's wager uh, that may have some merit, depending. People always say you're misunderstanding Pascal's wager. I use Pascal's wager to get people to understand the importance of considering 
the claims of particular religions. Because, mm-hmm. um, look, there is a lot at stake here. So I'm not saying it's like there's only two on the table. Granted, Islam's on the table. Some other things are on the table. Um, but but you at least need to take this very seriously because, yeah, there, there could be hell to pay in a few directions. So take it more seriously. But the criticism people say is, well, it's not like you've only got Christianity and atheism. Because what about these other categories? How could I ever err on the side of caution? I don't know which side is the side of caution. That's one criticism. Another criticism is just in case faith isn't really what any isn't what the Christian God for sure really wants from you. It doesn't seem that he wants just in case faith. There was an episode of Bill Maher where uh, there was some country star on there who said, uh, Bill Maher asked him, why are you a Christian when there's no good reason to be a Christian, which is ridiculous. But he was like, you know, man, I'm a Christian just in case. Well, it, he, I think people rightly point out that doesn't seem to be the kind of faith that uh, God wants. But I think a good use of Pascal's wager is, like I said, like, look, there's a lot at stake here. It's worth your time to really right. seriously consider it. You and to and consider it in the context of his writings. Yeah. You know, so go read Pascal in entirety, at least, hmm. and then think about it. You know? Yeah. All right, let's move forward here. There's another argument that goes largely unsaid in the atheist community, and that is if you live your entire life by a certain God's rules, and then it turns out that that God is a fairy tale, then you've really lost a lot. Let me give you a list of examples. You've lost the opportunity to express your sexuality in the way that makes you feel happiest and most comfortable. If you're an LGBT person or you're just a straight person who wants to have sex outside of marriage, Chances are you've lost a lot of opportunities by following a certain religion. There are a lot of. Have you lost that ability to express your sexuality in the way that you would? I like? express my sexuality in exactly the way I want to. I, I do too. I, I don't feel like I've lost anything. Now I know that he's going to say, "Yeah, but y'all are straight." Well, and, well, here's another thing though. I am straight, but I'm also monogamous. Right. Uh, you know. So, you know. You could say, well. You've lost the opportunity to go sleep around with other people that you're not married to. But I don't think you would say that, right? And the thing about it is, because he's married, I think. And, and I'm sure he, you know, it, the thing is, if, if we all acted that way, none of us would be happy, right? right. Would you be happy if, you, if you're, because you didn't and Misty didn't believe in God, she, she could express her sexuality in a non-monogamous way? Would you be happy about that? Uh, no, I'd be divorced. And she would feel the same way about you. Yes. So, I, so that's, so... <laughs> <laughs> we put it out of the house. Even as straight people, uh, that's and even as a secularist like he is, I don't think he expresses his sexuality in every way he would maybe enjoy, right? But there are there are reasons, even from a secular perspective, I think he would say, why there's you still don't do that. Yeah, but right? what if you're what if you're not straight and monogamous? Yeah. So here's where I want to set up ex- everything we're going to do here. And I really want to get a lot of your thoughts because I did a video on this guy a lot already. Mm-hmm. But, but here's the thing. With Pascal's wager, at least the way he seems to understand it, there, what we're doing is a cost-benefit analysis. Mm-hmm. We're saying what is the cost and benefit of being a Christian or being an atheist, okay? And the benefit that most people think of when they're thinking about Christianity in Pascal's wager is you don't get, have to go to hell, specifically an right. eternal conscious torment or, form of hell. Or a prolonged, unpleasant torture, <laughs> not torture, but um, torment 
before a very violent obliteration. Right. Even if someone were to take an annihilationist view, there are plenty of annihilationist conditional immortality people. You think hell is horrible, and then you go into non-existence. And if you listen to some people, some people, we've talked about this before, it's the Thanos snap. You're gone. Yeah. Uh, Other people are like, no, there's going to be a a very horrible experience of of, uh, torment prior to your utter annihilation. Oh, but see this which will die it, in a violent explosion of you know of becoming undone. You know, it is as gruesome as as the destruction descriptions in the Old Testament from which some other texts, you know, proof texts are based for their position. They're like, yeah, destroyed, utterly ruined, burnt to a crisp, you know, nothing left. It's not pleasant either. Now, he doesn't say this at least not in this video. I don't know that I heard him say this ever, but some people will say but see there, you are admitting, Dr. Pritchett, that there are Christians who disagree about the nature of hell. If your God is so all-powerful and wise, why hasn't he made it clear? Isn't it the case that if Christians disagree about doctrinal issues, that means the whole thing is bunk? Uh, no. Well, why not? Why doesn't God just straighten so, all that out? So because some people think you should baptize infants and others think that you should baptize after a profession of faith, therefore Jesus didn't rise from the dead. <laughs> what? what Okay. You're hitting on what I said in the first video, which is what is necessary in terms of events or existence for Christianity to be true is that God exists and God raised Jesus yeah. from the dead. No one's saying period. Yeah. And there's no all saying, Christians everywhere have believed there, there, that. No one is saying there isn't heretical views mm-hmm. within Christianity. Mm-hmm. Right. But irrelevant. All Christians who are Orthodox believe in the same kind of Vincentian canon, you know, one Bible, two testaments, three creeds, four councils, the consensus of the five first five centuries. Everyone believes those things at least. And that's oops. And that's why, you know, I'm I go with the paleo orthodoxy, paleo Baptist view, because that's Christianity. Everything else you can agree to disagree on, some things you can't agree to disagree on, some things are beyond that orthodoxy because they contradict. That, that essential doctrine. But for the most part, um, I don't think God is necessarily beside himself over the fact that we have doctrinal disagreements. Right. And, and I want to be clear. I say this a lot. In terms of evidence, the only thing that's necessary for Christianity to be true for us to demonstrate is God's existence and the resurrection of Jesus. That doesn't yeah. mean that that's all that's important. Okay. Um, but so back to the issue at hand— what I want to point out is this is a cost-benefit analysis. Now, obviously, there's a lot that uh, a lot more benefits than you don't go to hell that in Christianity, right? Yeah. Uh, you you have a family, you have a father, you have an adoption, you have. There's plenty of things, uh, you know, that that are benefits to becoming a, a Christian. Uh, but in the Pascal's Wager discussion, let's just put over here: you don't go to hell. If, okay. if, if you're a Christian and Christianity is true, you don't go to hell. On his side of this, with this sexuality question and everything else he's going to say, what you need to have in your mind as we're going through this video is, if you compare that to the possibility of eternal conscious suffering or really bad conscious suffering for a long time, does it even compare? To right? 40 to 50 years of sexual activity before you die. Right. Does that even compare now, I don't want to take this lightly because he led with sexuality, and I'm going to up the ante here a little bit. He did mention homosexuality. We're not just talking about you getting to sleep around. We're talking about 
people's things that really matter to people, their yeah. lifestyle, their, their, who they're going to love, the, the, all these kind of things. I understand. I don't completely understand because I've never had those. The, I'm not, I'm, I'm heterosexual and it's biblically permissible for me to function that way. But the fact is, uh, even granting all of that, that I get that, that the Christian life calls for such people to give up something that I don't have to give up in the same way. And I understand that. And I want to be fair to that. However, even granting all of that, does it compare to avoiding uh, hell? And by the way, every other day in my Facebook feed, there is some story featured about somebody who left, you know, the homosexual lifestyle and happily married with kids and family, and they're completely happy. You know, I wish I'd remembered the name of the guy. There's an academic book that was presented to yeah. us this past week at my on-campus module uh, for my DMN program. They were, he was going through all the literature, and he gave the very conservative books mm-hmm. on the, the sexuality issue, and then he gave the kind of moderate books and then the left-leaning theological works. Mm-hmm. And in somewhere in there, there, w- there was a guy, I can't remember his name, who is a very scholarly academic Christian who is, uh, and I, my hat's off to you, this is a huge thing, but... He is living celibate, and he's like, I, I get it, but I think Christianity is true, and because it's true, this is what I believe that yeah. I'm called to. I respect those people in, uh, in an amazing way. Yeah. Because I'm not, I don't. You get all kinds. You get people who um, choose to live celibate. The, the urges never go away. You get others who walk away from the lifestyle, and they live a heterosexual lifestyle, and they're happy. Yeah. Um, you know, nature, nurture, we've talked about those in other debates. You know, is it a choice? Is it irrelevant? Once you recognize the truth of Christianity, it matters how you live. Yeah. And, and so, sadly, we live in a culture, even with a church culture, that's trying to tell people, no, it doesn't matter how you live. But we've got to move away from that. So, um, I appreciate uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ who... Do, do that. Who do that? But you know what? Anyone who's not married has to do that too. Um, and so I respect anyone who chooses a life of celibacy um, until to live faithful to Christ. Yeah. Not that there's something in general more pious about remaining celibate, but if you remaining celibate is what is necessary for you to remain in a biblically permissible situation. I think it. I, I yeah. I mean, number one, you don't want to pat someone on the head for doing what they're supposed to do. But at the same time, I kind of do because in this culture, it's a sex crazed culture. And the first thing he, this guy leads with every, everything in our culture and pop culture, especially in media is sex driven mm-hmm. and expressing your sexuality in whatever way you, you want to and sexual promiscuity. And for to, to exist in that culture as a celibate person, I, I, I think it's, probably more difficult than it has been in previous yeah eras. i think so and yeah. uh, i mean not not like ancient greece but i'm, I'm saying um it was it's harder now than it was say in the 40s and 50s you know? and we seem and we understand that we seem bigoted to a lot of people for our position on this the biblical uh, per, uh position sorry on this um but uh i will say in defense of this guy he has another video where he talks about homosexuality and he actually says, look, I was a Christian, and I want to make clear that you atheists, a lot of you are arguing wrongly 
uh, against yours because you, he was criticizing how atheists will do the whole, well, you guys eat shellfish and wear clothing of mixed fabrics and all that. So uh, you're not living consistent with the Old Testament. So why? And he's like, no, 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 no. Uh, I get what you're saying here, but that's not what the, the Christian can be consistent in eating shellfish and wearing clothing of mixed fabrics and holding that homosexuality is a biblically not permissible lifestyle acting on those things because of the new covenant and Paul in the new yeah. Testament and all these things. So I appreciated that he, that he, you know, did that, but anyway, let's move on. So first thing is sexuality, living your sexual life, your best sexual life. Now, <laughs> is that uh, a good trade-off for uh, hell? I don't think so. Yeah. And I want to be clear on this video too, is that we're not saying like being sexually moral is how you avoid going to hell. This is not a workspace type thing. But when we're doing the wager thing here, the way he set it up, yeah. we are comparing the benefits here on atheism, the benefits here on Christianity, the benefits on Christianity, you don't go to hell. The benefits on atheism, you get to have sex however you want to have sex. And I'm saying this does not compute. This mm -hmm. definitely, avoiding hell still is a much greater benefit, yeah. I think. All right, so let's move on. A lot of LGBT people who live their lives according to a certain religion and thus have never been able to have a committed partner. Are you seriously going to tell me that they haven't lost something if their God turns out not to be real? And for just about anyone in No, I'm Lonestra not going to seriously tell them that they have, they have lost something. Yeah. Being a Christian is, you know, in our faith, it's sacrificial. Yeah. You know, you offer yeah, do yourself you as a living sacrifice. So you don't, you don't get to do everything you want to do. Um or what you would otherwise do if you weren't a, a Christian. But you, you learn to understand that that's fine. In fact, Jesus, none less than Jesus himself, makes this clear that you're going to lose stuff. Yeah. You know, he says, you want to follow me? You're not going to have anywhere. The son of, foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests. The son of man have, has not no where place. to lay his head. Yeah. Uh, you, you, want to, you want to follow me? Let the dead bury the dead. You, your dad who's just died or is about to die, yeah, don't worry about that. You deny follow me yourself, right now. Deny yourself, carry your yeah. cross and follow uh, me. Yeah, deny yourself. And, hey, this guy couldn't, you know. But you, that's not just, you have to give up all your riches yeah, to but follow that's me. But that's not just about avoiding hell. That you, you, you do lose something, but you also gain something, too. Right. I mean, there really is a peace and a joy and a flourishing in Christ that I think trumps immediate pleasures you know so what you're doing is you're saying because obviously i have made it clear already in this video i don't personally think that avoiding hell is the be-all end-all of christianity and i think that message is wrong-headed that some people yeah. do give within christianity there are a lot of other benefits and what you're saying is yeah and you know what those other benefits that don't have anything to do with hell they're better benefits on their own is that what right. you're saying yes that's yeah. exactly what i'm saying yeah okay all right let's move forward religions, there's a lot of guilt to be felt over going against the dogma on sexuality. If you follow just about any given religion, you're risking a guilt-free sex life. You've missed out on the ability to spend your money the way that oh, you want. Oh, stop there too. That's going to take forever, but I know a lot of non-believers and Christians both who live sexually active, promiscuous, fornicating lifestyles. Guilt everywhere. In yeah. It. Guilt everywhere. Shame everywhere. Uh... <clears throat> Heartaches everywhere, um, medical problems <laughs> in some of these cases everywhere. Yeah. What in the world is he talking about? It's guilt-free. No, it's never guilt-free. Um, you can ask a lot of people who, who are promiscuous, and maybe one or two times they had a 
a, a sexual encounter that was literally no strings attached or whatever. Uh, but that's not most of their sexual encounters. Yeah. And most of it is all kinds of, well, at least not no guilt on their part. They don't know what the other person that they never saw again right. uh, was experiencing from it. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I don't know that it's guilt-free. I don't think anything's guilt-free, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's sin. Um, and I'm not just imposing my, my worldview onto. Uh, he believes in morality. So even right. if it's, even if you're not a Christian, you don't believe in anything supernatural. We understand that you don't have a grounding for that morality, but let's just grant you your morality. Yeah, I mean, there's still maybe, guilt when you're immoral. Maybe if you think using human beings as objects is fine, mm-hmm. but then don't tell me that you're moral because you just used a person as an object. Yeah. For your sexual gratification. Right. That's wicked, I think. Yeah, I'll, I'll do a little bit of an old Donald J. Johnson thing here. Um, the, you know, you think about life in terms of values. Uh, Dr. Pritchett loves his diet, Citrus Drop. He places, he places, as far as soft drinks go, a high value on that. Does he place the same value on Diet Citrus Drop as he does his son Noah? No answer. What? No you don't want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course I don't. Right. And if, and, but you say, well, that's silly. Okay, let's make it not silly. Instead of diet citrus drop, let's say it's beverage alcohol. There are people who, by their actions, place a higher value on beverage alcohol than they do their spouse or their right. kids because they destroy their families and their marriage because they're an alcoholic, right? What is the big problem there? Well, the problem is that he's an alcoholic. Okay, in a deeper sense, the problem is he has misplaced values. He has put a higher value on a liquid substance than he has on a human no, being. I think about, yeah, exactly. And and not me, because with my diet citrus drop habit, mm-hmm. I actually put Noah and Sarah first in this because it's only 67 cents for a two liter at Rulers, <laughs> the outlet store for Kroger here in Evansville. Um, I bring the, Sarah gets the um, Dr. K, uh-huh. and Noah gets the root beer. Cheap generic soda actually brings my family together because we can all enjoy it for less than what you spend in a vending machine to get a 20 ounce of soda downstairs. That's beautiful. Yes, and so instead of destroying families like people who p- place alcoholic beverages above their yeah. own kids. yeah. This is cheap enough for the whole family <laughs> so, to bring br- the family together and drink generic soda. Diet citrus drop and yes. ruler bringing people together. But let's get back to the sexuality issue. So if you so if you if you sexually if you use someone for your sexual play, I don't care if you think well they're using me too. Irrelevant. That just worsens the problem. What you're doing is you're placing a higher value on the sexual experience then you are the person and you're not treating the person as a person with value. If you just look at someone and we, and you know, people can't help but do this, but it's like the old preachers used to say, you can't help, help the birds flying over your head, but you don't have to let them build a nest in your hair. If you see a woman walking down the street or a man, if you're a woman and you see someone walking down the street and you uh, lust over them, uh, you are treating them as a sex object. Mm -hmm. You're not treating them as a valuable person and you put a higher value on your own sexual uh, desires or whatever, then you have them as a human being, a person. And for those of us who are Christians, a person made in the image of God. What you're doing is a sort of uh, type of blasphemy almost. What world? What what in your worldview do you have that treats human beings as distinct from all other animals? Yeah, we are an animal. We're a highly evolved primate yeah. on naturalism. Yeah, well, you're not image bearers. So, so 
even if you even if you protest and harumph the fight, I would never go rape people. Well, on their if, view, if, if, if there was no law, I still wouldn't do it. Really? What on what basis would you not do it? Just just the fact that you're not, you know, you you, you claim that you wouldn't. Well, on their worldview, uh, his, he had Cosmic Skeptic on one of his videos, mm-hmm. and they went with the same hair, a modified version of a same Harris thing that it's well-being. We ground morality in well-being, and we admit that that's subjectively chosen, but then within that subjectively chosen framework, you can make it's, you can yeah. make obje- it's ob- if you want well-being, it's objectively better to do this than that. And that includes other people, because even if I if like it's better for me, ultimately, because it's better for my society, if I don't. Great. Now, what if everyone disagrees with you? Right. So who cares? Well, they would say if you don't care, then you are an incredibly you're an outlier. See, I I, I this is why I think evolution is the most useless tool for, for trying to explain morality, you know, biological accounts of morality uh biological accounts for uh cooperation and reciprocity it's nonsense it does not ground it at all yeah and we've seen societies that don't live that way and they Mm -hmm. fall to pieces i i really do think there there's a theological argument to be made that god is also the grounding of society and civilization and all that as well yeah But uh, you're making a valid point, and the point is this. Fine. You're admitting that it's still subjectively chosen, but that's all that matters is is there any ultimate uh, morality. That's what we're getting at. So even if 99—hold on. Even if 99.99% of the world agrees with you about well-being and we function according to that, when there is that outlier who— rapes and kills a thousand people and then kills himself because he doesn't even care about his own well-being, uh, you can't say in any ultimate sense that he did something immoral. Yeah. You can just say he did what he liked and we don't like it. And, and I, I, I'm kind of, I know that our audience is mixed on that Jordan Peterson guy, right? Oh, this guy has a lot to say about Jordan Peterson. I'm sure. Well, I'm talking about people. Who, yeah. Um, but one thing I think I, I like about him mm-hmm. is he doesn't shy away. Like he, he made Matt... Uh, Dillahunty mad. He's like, no, you're not an atheist. You know, uh, and they're a little... No, he, he, he like, he was like, Matt said he was a skeptic, and he was like, a skeptic, you know? Yeah, no, but even at the end, he, he talked, said atheist. Oh, did he? he said, okay. I think that you think that you are, but you're really not, and that really made Matt upset. Oh, yeah. Because I, I guess he heard that from presuppositionalists or something. <laughs> but but I kind of agree with the fact that when you have no foundations, you have no ontology... You can give us the talking points that you want to sound good to other people, mm-hmm. but I don't believe you. I have zero reason to, and I know that's going to make atheists mad who watch this video. Atheists, I'm sorry, I have no reason to believe that no matter what you spew about your morals and your values, you know, in your sort of, it's subjective, but we can kind of pretend it's subjective thing. On, on what do you base it? Because I know where this video is Well-being. Yeah, yeah, I know, but that's on, on what basis other than opinion that that's a good right, idea. Right, it is opinion. It's subjective. Right, and yeah. they admit that. And so mm-hmm. I'm like, that's not a foundation for this because everyone else could agree with you. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I said when you talk about it, you'd be a good person. I would never rape. I would never rob banks. I don't need God to tell me to behave and, and be well-being. Yeah, but aside from the borrowed capital that I think image-bearing in, in the Christian worldview underwrites what they say even if they don't acknowledge God not to get all presuppositional no 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 yeah because the point is 
we would say you don't know what you would do if there were no God because you live in a world where there is a God. Right, and that's why I have no reason to think that, well, I'm not going to go rob a bank if, if God doesn't exist, or I'm not, you know, you could, you're, you're not going to become immoral tomorrow. You might. Yeah, we don't know what that world is like. Right. The reason that morality comes up so often, it seems like it comes up more than anything else. Part of it is maybe what William Lane Craig said on Ben Shapiro, that that seems to be something that college-aged people it has more purchase on them than some of the other stuff. But I think part of it is they know that, I mean, they admit they they know that you can't really have an objective morality right. without God. So that's a tough spot for them. Yeah. So what do we do? So they're having to grasp at straws to try and come up with some confusing epistemology and ontology left and right and trying to come up with some, maybe it's like a chessboard. We create this game and then we objectively within it. And yeah, that's still not, doesn't get you objective. Yeah, and it's, they're, they're grasping for something. And it's contradictory. You say that you're not just another animal. Mm-hmm. I but mean, you have to say you're an animal. But you have to say that you're an animal, and then you live contrary to what you really think you are. Yeah. And a lot of them will just say, yeah. And I'm saying, okay, well, point made, you know. But you don't have to believe that. What you're trying to do is the best you can in a world where you, where you suppose God doesn't exist. There's a much simpler way. God exists. Right. And when you think it's wrong to torture children because you enjoy the sounds of their screams, when you th- if you think that, if there's something that you, you know about that, that yeah. is wrong morally in, in the same objective way that 2 plus 2 equals 7 is wrong mathematically, you know that. You can try to be clinical about it and all that. You know that. There's an easy explanation. It's the only explanation for that. Yeah. There is a God. And, it, and in it's, not about, it's not about righting all wrongs in the end either. It's thank God for common grace and thank God that we can live in a functional, civilized society. Yeah. You know, and granted, um, there's been a lot of ups and downs in that in human history because we live in a fallen world. Mm -hmm. But imagine what the world could have been like and imagine what it probably was like for God to flood most of it. Mm -hmm. You know, just rampant wickedness. Yeah. With with smaller population, uh, I would say, than, than... I don't think there was 7 billion people. Oh, no, 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 they're much smaller, yeah. 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 Uh, and I think that, you know, in the original plan to the creation mandate to fill the planet and subdue it, um, I think population growth, the more people you have, the more image-bearing there is. That's why you have, even in a fallen world, it's not as chaotic as it could be. Mm-hmm. And we still have wars, and the 20th century was a horrible... Uh, all around the world mm-hmm. uh, for that. But still, overall, we have relative peace compared to what it could what be. What it could be, yeah. yeah. All right, let's move forward. Given religion, you're risking a guilt-free sex life. You've missed out on the ability to spend your money the way that you've wanted to. Living life without religion means that you can decide where you want your money to go. Sure, if you want to donate 10% of your income to charity, you can. It doesn't have to be dictated by anyone but you. You've missed out... Um, I spend my money the way my wife tells me I can. <laughs> She's the accountant. She's a better, um, but no, I, I don't, I don't, that doesn't make any sense. Um, I've never met a single Christian who doesn't spend the money the way that they want to. Right. Point me to the New Testament passage that says you have to give 10%. Uh, tithing, uh, the author of Hebrews mentions Abraham's war plunder. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to Melchizedek and uh, Jesus makes fun of people pinching their spice cabinet. 
Right. So you, you, there is a motivation. There is an example of this. This is what you should do. And when we do it, we do it freely because that's what we want to do because we love our yeah, God. Yeah, I don't know about 10%, but as far as giving the church, if you love your neighbor and you love central heat and air and lighting and you're going to use the facilities, you got to help pay for it. It's called generosity. Right. This, I responded to something related to not tithing, but, but uh, doing stuff because you want to or because God makes you. In, in the other video, and th- see if you like this. This is what I think is this. Is, I don't. This guy was a Christian, mm-hmm. or at least he was in the Christian world. And I, I'm not going to question his experience, but I am going to say this: if he was in a quote unquote fundamentalist church, is how he describes it, he was around people that were good people, mm-hmm. right? Do you are you really telling me that everyone you knew in the Christian community? was only doing good for people because the guy that would help you change your tire on the side of the road if he saw you down, the the person that would absolutely take care of your family if something happened to you. You're telling me all these people are just doing it because they're worried that God might see that they're not doing it and they're they're being forced to do it. You know there's good people that are doing it not in spite of their Christianity, not because they're made to do it. They're doing it because they're good people. What's yeah. the explanation for that? Well, part of that is you, like us, have this moral code that we believe God has placed on the hearts of man. But on top of that, when you start to emulate the person of Christ, this guy has said elsewhere that there are good things in different religions. And one of the good things out of Christianity is the forgiveness. Yeah. That when you look at Jesus, the person of Jesus, and you say, I'm going to be like him, I'm going to be a little Christ, a Christian. I'm going to be Jesus as best as I can. You know what starts to happen over a period of years? And it doesn't happen immediately for most people. Over a period of years, when you start thinking that way and trying to live like Jesus and think the way he thinks and do what he does, the pathways in your brain begin to wrap around that and change. And you know what? The longer you're a Christian, and yes, there are people that are Christians who don't do this because they're not really trying to emulate Christ like they should. You become more and more like Christ because that's your hero. And you know what? It ends up, like I said, if you're Steve Gregg, and you try to live like Jesus the best you can for decades, you even might start to look a little bit like Jesus. You know? I mean, but that's what's happening. That's what explains it. And the people that are most like Christ are not doing it because they're scared God's going to see them not doing it. Yeah. They're doing it because they've yeah, tried to I be like Jesus. Now they want to do it. I don't think about that all day. Is God going to be happy if I lend this guy $5 for gas? Right. I don't think of it in those terms, hmm. but it's my $5, and if I want to give it's... I'm happy to do it. I, I don't know. Just like this guy, would, I'm sure he would loan a buddy $5 for gas money if he needed or where, whatever. I don't know where he lives, if it's dollars or euros or whatever. But if he had a friend who needed gas money, he would give it too. And I think the, the experience that both of us have would be identical because I'm not thinking, will God be happy with me if I give this right. guy $5? Right, right. Uh, and as far as nobody spends their money the way they want to, I would I would rather I would rather buy books than pay my mortgage. But you yeah. know what? I have to pay my mortgage, and so does everyone else. Have to they, you? Everyone has to pay bills. Right. But everyone that I know that's in the church spends their disposable income the way that they want to. Out on living a life that's totally free of fear of eternal torment. As a lot of ex-Christians, myself. Oh yeah. Okay. So if now you believe in Jesus. You don't have okay. No, fear th- of th- this is great because what he's doing is he's saying if you're an atheist, you don't have to be afraid of hell versus if you're a Christian, you don't have to go to hell. And here's my response to that. And I said, I think I said this in the other video is this thing about this is look, if you don't believe in cancer, you don't have to be afraid of cancer, Mm -hmm. but 
that has that doesn't help you if cancer is real. Right. If cancer is real, it's worth you being afraid of cancer so that you don't get cancer. Because if if you assume that cancer is not real and you might become a two pack a day smoker, right? <laughs> it's better to give up that, uh, to, to have the fear of cancer and to not get to smoke the two packs a day to avoid the reality of cancer. Right. Right. I, that falls apart to me. Yeah. But I don't live in fear of hell. But either. let me move back a little bit because we may have missed something here. You, you've missed out on living a life that's totally free of fear of eternal torment. As no, a lot I of ex-Christians. You don't have any fear of that. Of eternal torment. I don't have any I fear, fear about that him. either. I fear for him. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, and I don't want to laugh about it. We're serious. Uh, we want to give a gospel appeal because the reality is we're not making YouTube videos because we want to become internet famous. Now that would be nice, but you don't get that in this niche market we're in. We're doing this because we love people and we care about people. And yes, we believe we're reasonably well-educated people and we still believe that there's a hell. So yeah, we're concerned about that for people who reject Christianity. Yeah. Myself included will tell you, we spent a lot of time being afraid of eternal torment. No, and now that we don't believe in that, we're just monumentally better off. You've Why would someone who's a Christian be afraid of hell? Because they don't understand Christianity. Right. There's, two, there, there's, uh, there's largely, now there are others, but there are largely two positions here that are worth considering. One is the uh, eternal security position. Mm -hmm. uh, most of your Presbyterians, most of your Baptists, most of people like this would affirm eternal security, which means that once you get saved, done. You know, you're saved. You can't lose it, so you're saved. Okay, those people don't have to be afraid of hell. They believe that. And there's the other one that's worth considering, which is uh, once you become a Christian, you can cease to be a Christian, but not because you sinned enough that you lost your salvation. Rather, it's because you stopped believing, you stopped believing or willingly rejected your salvation. Right. But as long as, you're, as long as you have no intention of defecting, Right. You're not going to lose your salvation even when you sin. So that, that person doesn't have to be afraid of hell. Right. So who has to be afraid of hell if you're actually a Christian? I'll tell you who. Those people that have a not very well-informed theology who sit in the pews of even those Presbyterian and Baptist churches. And pro it sounds like, and I'm not trying to be um, insulting, but it sounds like people like this guy was when he was uh, in the church, which is the people who would say, what if I, even though I've heard all that, what if I do sin enough and I lose it? You know, because I've done some stuff and it is tempting even for people like you and me that when we do something, some sin, there is a temptation to think, oh, shoot, what if, you know, but that's not biblical Christianity. Yeah. So you don't have to be afraid. Yeah. If you're in Christ, there's no fear of condemnation because there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Besides which, it's, again, not having to fear cancer because you don't believe that it exists versus having a healthy fear of cancer and it exists, which is better to have no fear of hell because you're ignoring the possibility that it could be or having a healthy fear of hell and m taking precautions. Right. right. <laughs> okay. Move on. You've lost the chance to make plans and shape your life in the way that you've wanted to. When I was a Christian, I always made something I called open-handed plans. That meant that I planned for things in my life that I wanted, that I wanted to do. I set up goals but I always left it open for God's influence. This left my ambitions vulnerable to change based on what religious officials told me they should be. It also left me vulnerable to thinking that God had shown me a sign that I should change my plans into something when really nothing supernatural had happened. If I would have continued... 
continued living my life in that mindset, there would already be a lot of things that I would have missed out on that were really awesome and very valuable to me. You've missed out on eating or Okay. Do you have anything you want to say about that? You could chart your own course if you remained an atheist. You wouldn't have to worry about what God wants for your life, basically. See, this this derails us back into our, you know, the question or people call. We, we, we go round and round on this uh, in our uh, discussion forum at the Trinity Radio Primetime Discussion Forum on Facebook, best Facebook group on the planet. Um, you know, I, I'm a like the book of James says if the Lord wills we'll go here or there yeah but I if the Lord wills but other you know I mean other than that I don't you feel like you've got some freedom I feel like I have freedom to make plans I don't want to do things with my life that are contrary to God's general will for uh, but I don't think that I don't think it's a problem to be open to the Spirit of God prompting you to go various places and leading you to go various places. But other than that, you can generally plot a course in your life. And I know Christian after Christian after Christian who set goals. And and does it work out for most of them? Yeah. It, well, you know, even, just, even John just, MacArthur, who is a Calvinist, yeah. you know, theologian, my understanding is that his, his thing is if you really— don't know and you've tried to seek God's will and you don't know what God wants you to do between two options, do whichever one you want. <laughs> yeah. And my, well, my dad, he put it like this. He was like, you know, God can't even guide or steer a ship in port. So yeah. make some plans. Yeah. Be useful. Right. You know, do what you like with your life and, and be open. Like he said, I don't know what the problem is. So, so what you're saying is you can close it down and go barreling straight for whatever goal you set, even if it turns out it's terrible for you. Yeah, I mean, I do think that God makes some obvious indications to you sometimes. Uh, I don't think that happens to me every day. It's happened a few times in my life as a Christian. For instance, uh, I was studying for a music business degree. Yeah. I had already uh, accepted, I thought, a call, uh, whether you like that terminology or not. I had already s- surrendered my life to the ministry to use evangelical terminology. Surrender. But here's the thing. So William Lane Craig said to me. Here I am, send me. That's not surrender. I said me. that. Every, everybody uses that terminology. Yeah. But I said that when I was explaining to William Lane Craig and his wife uh, over breakfast in Israel. Uh, and, and William Lane Craig laughed and he said, did you hear what he just said? And she's like, yeah, I heard it. And I'm like, what? He said, you said you surrendered to the gospel as if it was the worst thing ever or something like that. <laughs> but, anyway, uh, but, I, but anyway, I had already recognized uh, what I thought God was wanting me in ministry. But then I was still pursuing a music business career, and an atheist academic advisor told me, you need to be in seminary. Well, I already did feel drawn toward that, so I did that. I think God used uh, an atheist advisor to speak some truth into my life. Uh, one time where I didn't listen was, you've heard me say this many times, our listeners have, I felt like when I left pastoring and went into full-time itinerant apologetics and evangelism ministry that I was supposed to move to Evansville, Indiana. But I convinced myself that I should move to Nashville, the greatest city on earth. And you know what? That's what I did. And it was horrible for my marriage. It was horrible for me financially. It was one of the darkest times of my life. I believe I didn't do what God wanted me to do. There have been moments like that in my life. I think there are moments like that for a lot of Christians. But generally speaking... 
uh, I think you have freedom to, yes, try to figure out what God wants and don't do anything inconsistent. But he acts like there's all this existential angst over it. And the existential angst for me has come when I did think I knew what God wanted me to do and I didn't do it. Right. You know, well, so. for me, it was, yeah, I want to be accountant because my dad made really good money. And then I took principles of accounting and realized that I'm no good at it. So you became a barber. So, I, yeah, I, I, I you know, I, I graduated when I finally did go to college for real the, the, the second time mm-hmm. and go through. I always, yeah, I graduated summa cum laude, right? Praise but the Lord. But I, I always bury that one semester that I did before barber college where <laughs> it's like, I'll try college. And then I realized I don't want to be an accountant. This is not for me. Well, you're not burying it now. You just said it on Trinity yeah, Radio. Uh, All right, let's move but, forward. We got to get through this. But yeah, but I, I went to barber college. I was happy being a barber. Read a lot of books between clients because um, I was always an avid reader. Um, then then decided at 29, ah, I'll go get a college degree. Why not? You know, I I can do it. You know, online and and. Uh, do it out of my barber shop and you know did that and was like oh what's next oh a master's degree i'll go do that oh what's what's next after that oh come get a doctorate and then work for braxton hunter and so yeah being open to god pretty cool things happen Um, i don't feel like i lost anything and i did set goals i set goals to be a barber did it set goals to make good grades did it yeah and then I realized, oh, there's other things I can do. And then here I am. So uh, being open to God can lead you to some cool places. It can lead you to some weird places. I used to drive around with poop and urine samples in the back of my, I can't remember what it was. Uh, but anyway, I used to drive around with that. When I sold my barber shop, I had to get another, like a real job. That wasn't my favorite thing. That mm-hmm. wasn't my goal. But, you know, I... Needed something to do until I finished my school. So. The earthy theological positions of Dr. Jonathan Pritchett. Yeah. So let's let's move on now. Uh, we are not making much progress. We got to get through this. Or drinking whatever you want. I'll just say this: a lot of oh, religious oh, people oh, have oh, gone oh, oh, there. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Be a lot of things that I would have missed out on that were really awesome and very. Right, here valuable. we go. Listen up. You've missed out on eating or drinking whatever you want. I'll just say this: a lot of religious people have gone their entire lives without ever having taken a drink of alcohol. Oh, or no. eating a strip of bacon. Yeah. Pause the video for a moment of silence if you need to. You've lost your chance to wear. Okay. So you can't, if you, if, if you remain an atheist, you can eat and drink whatever you want. Now, par- pair this with the fact that in another video, he had Cosmic Skeptic come on and say, the grounding for morality is well-being. Now, if you, if you believe that the grounding of your well-being is well-being of your morality, then you need to be really careful with that bacon and that alcohol, right? Yeah, my friend uh, Peter Lumpkins, yeah, Doctor Peter Lumpkins, yeah, um, he wrote a book on uh, abstinence from alcohol. Mm-hmm. You know what? He drinks as much booze as he wants to. You know how much he wants to? None. None. Right. Ask yourself the question. Would the world be? And we're not getting into the question about alcohol in general among Christians, except to say this. Would the world be a better place? Would there be less uh, health problems and stuff like that if all the beverage alcohol was just suddenly gone and all the bacon was suddenly gone? Now, trust me, I love bacon. I love bacon. I wish I had a plate right now. But would the world be a healthier place? Probably. 
Nobody, so, nobody's out there buying this. You call it garbage water. I can't remember what Nick Quint called it. But look, I drink what I want to. I drink seven of these a week. Mm-hmm. Y- y- what? Yeah, I drink a two-liter. It's not healthy. <laughs> I drink a two-liter. You drink a seven of those a week? Yeah, I drink a two-liter a day. You may need to base not your morality, but your living on well-being. <laughs> but here's the, I don't know what that's doing to your insides. But here's, here's the thing. Back to the litmus test for all this. Yeah. Is eating bacon and drinking alcohol as a benefit outweigh the benefit of not going to hell? Because no. guess what? You won't be eating bacon or drinking alcohol in hell. Right. <laughs> if I understand. Things. And you know what? I like bacon. I'm not one of these people who makes a joke out of it, though. Like, I have to eat bacon every day with every meal. I eat bacon, like, twice a month, maybe. <laughs> Why are we talking about this? Let's get back to the show. <laughs> well, can you eat whatever you want? Well, some religions can't, but I'm a Christian, so I can't relate to this. Yeah, but there's he, consequences. He probably it. doesn't have a problem getting smashed, someone getting smashed, you know. I don't like to psychologize. I no, don't know no, what no, he no, thinks. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. But if he had a drunk friend who was drunk every day, I'm, I would like to believe he's the type of guy that says, you have a problem. Like yeah. I said earlier. You need to video. stop drinking as much as you want. Right. <laughs> so, All right, let's, get, let's keep but, going. And, and if he wouldn't do that, then he's a scumbag because you should not want your friends to be alcoholic drunks destroying their lives and right. putting other people and friends and neighbors and their children right. at risk. Yeah. So, so as an atheist, stop eat, and, and if someone has an obesity problem that's going to kill them with a heart disease, right. you need to stop eating as much as you want. Right. Hopefully an atheist would say that. Right. Someone. And I want right. to believe that he's a good guy that he would. All right, let's keep trucking. Wear whatever you want. Most religions have a dress code of sorts. Wait a minute. Wear, and okay. This is... You've lost your chance to wear whatever you want. Most religions have a dress code of sorts. And if you live your life according to one, then you've missed all your chances to dress immodestly when you've wanted to or even dress wearing clothes typical of the opposite sex if that's what makes you feel most comfortable. You've wasted a ton of your time. You, you, you've you missed out on all your opportunities to wear those string bikinis you've always wanted to wear. Man, I feel so without. <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about. I, I, well, we know what he's talking about. Most people, no, because most people are so self-conscious You've got a whole other set of issues going on there. Yeah, well, I, this is what he's talking about. He's he's. I think he re, he he put in the immodesty thing, but we're really talking about uh, trans stuff. It, it, you know, you've you've lost the ability to do that. Now, rather than get into that whole issue, yeah, until until I've lost about forty pounds, I'm not even wearing a swimsuit without a t-shirt. You know, I'm, just, I'm with you, man. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, but but stay on the diet citrus drop. But but get back mm. to the main point. Is that worth? Is you being allowed to dress immodestly or dress in uh, other gender-specific clothing, is that worth, is that counterbalance the benefit of not going to hell forever? No. All right, let's move on. Time. Whether in your religion you pray, you meditate, or you attend services, or even all three, you spent tons of your time in life on those things when you could have been using them to do something more productive. And if nothing else, sleeping in on Sunday is pretty great. You've missed... So, uh, what Prayer is you, a waste of time. Meditation is a waste of time. Yeah. Don't you think, haven't you heard? I think it's the case. Uh, oh, by the way, this gives me an opportunity to correct something. Uh, he, and we're going to, well, no, we'll get to it in a few minutes. But um, uh, I think people say, even naturalists say that prayer is therapeutic and good for you, even if your religion isn't real. Like it's, it's, it's a form of meditation and it's good for your well-being. Um, so I don't know about that, but the general wasting time going to church, doing all that stuff. First of all, going to church, uh, even if naturalism were true, there are social benefits to that. 
right? That's what humanism is trying to make up for, is trying to say, look, we can have the social benefits that make people happier and all those kind of things, being a part of a movement, being a part of a group. Um, but then the, 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 the thing that he has to know this is silly is you sleeping in on Sunday is pretty great, man. If you're an atheist, that's a benefit. You, yeah, I get to sleep you, in on Saturday. You might go to hell, but the deal is you get to sleep in on Sunday. Yeah, sleeping in for I, – I, I, he's a much younger man than me. I, I understand what he, where he's coming from. Sleeping in used to be 11, 12 o'clock, right? Mm-hmm. Sleeping in for me, even on the weekends now, is like 8. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, when yeah. you – when you know, so even – I mean, some people have second and third shift type work, so their, their sleeping schedules are, are – different than mine but even then uh, the older i get the the maybe if you're praying because you're only awake for nine hours a day and you mm-hmm. spend the most of your time in, you're probably wasting more time than the person praying you know if, if that's what you're doing so sleeping in versus praying and getting up earlier and uh, yeah i i i, I prayer is actually therapeutic for me you know how much i vent towards god my Stuff. I mean, in the car. Between sips of diet citrus drop. Yeah. Do you vent about me? I mean, I, no. And I, I'm not. And I don't. And I'm not the. I'm not the. I'm not always the silent prayer guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm. I talk to myself, so I'm going to talk to God out loud. Yeah. If I can talk to myself out loud and weird out my wife and kids. I can. God's cool with it. So yeah. I mean, I. I but I don't. I'm sitting in a car anyway. I guess the only other thing I could do is listen to music I like or listen to a book or something. Um, but prayer, I don't consider it a waste of time. No, of course And if not. you're not sleeping in, you have more time to be productive And you anyway. know something, whatever time you wake up on Sunday, almost anywhere you live in the United States of America, there's a church somewhere that's about to start a service. <laughs> so you can sleep as late as you want. And since you came from a fundamentalist background, your term, then those places still have Sunday evening services. What's the big deal? All right, let's move on. You missed out on living a life where you don't think that you're inherently evil or inherently broken. Most religions teach... Oh, let's hear the rest of it. ...their followers that there's inherently something wrong with them. And it's sad that people go their entire lives thinking that they're just broken individuals. You've missed out on living a... Okay. Yeah, look at the world. (laughs) It's pretty obvious that human beings are broken people. Yeah. Um... Not every, you know, and in fairness to our Calvinist friends, what they'll say is not total depravity is not as bad as you could be evil as they could be. But there's every sense of your life is never going to be what it could have been prior to the fall. We are all broken people. And I hear Oprah will tell you uh, and and atheists will tell you in certain appeals that, yeah, we're all just human. We're all broken people. We it's all a trope, problems. even among secularists. Right. We're all messed up one way or the other. Right. Right. We all got issues. If you don't think that, you're just living in denial. Yeah. You know, look out a window or turn on the television, almost any channel, almost any time of day. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's keep trucking. Living a life that's free of fear of judgment for thought crime. Everyone has thoughts that aren't so great, but that they don't act upon, and that's totally okay. It's sad that anyone lives a life in fear of judgment for things that they've thought but never acted upon, especially when those thoughts include doubts about their religion. You've lost the opportunity. Okay. Um, first of all, this idea about judgmentalism, you don't have to worry about judge, being judged or something. Uh, in general, there is a lot of judgment among secularists 
because we're human beings, just like there is within Christianity. Now, being judged for thought crimes, but God, as our creator, who knows our hearts and can search our hearts and wants us to be conformed to the image of Jesus, like we were talking about before, the more you try to be like Jesus, the more you you change who you are, your thinking changes and all of that. That's a good thing. And God is our creator. If, if there is right, a God. I like having a regulator for my mind um, yeah. because I need to stay focused on things that matter. And if I, I think you actually lose something by not having that fear. Yeah. I think that fear is healthy because it keeps your brain from wandering in to cause you to do stupid things. Because if all you do is purely physicalism, if all you're doing is creating pathways because you're, you want to entertain certain thoughts, those are eventually going to become unhealthy thoughts that are going to lead to unhealthy actions. Mm -hmm. That's how people end up looking at child pornography and going to prison. Thank God they do. Yeah. But I'm just saying, there are thoughts that you can entertain without fear that can lead to worse behaviors later on a naturalist account. Sure. So I actually think it's I've gained something by having the fear of God to judge every not just every uh, deed or word, but also every thought, because it reminds me to take my thoughts captive. It reminds me to not sit around and think idle thoughts of wickedness, but think idle thoughts of goodness, you know, yeah. and dwell upon those things, whatever is good, whatever is true, whatever is beautiful. You know? Right. That's um, good advice. And here's the thing, back to what yeah, you're saying about right. thoughts yeah. can lead to evil things in your own life, even yeah. if you're a secularist. Uh, there is a certain type of dysfunction <laughs> that it, that typically happened among older men, uh, or at least people middle-aged and older in the past. Now they're seeing that particular type of dysfunction among men happening as early as in the 20s. Yeah. And secular people are recognizing it. We think it has to do with the prevalence of pornography. Yeah, and let's not let's let's not confuse judgment. I'm not fear of eternal hell as my judgment for thought crimes. I'm I'm. I'm in fear of disappointing God, you know, mm -hmm. by entertaining certain thoughts that are contrary to his laws, contrary to his wills, contrary to his goodness. And that's healthy for me. I, so I, I don't know. I, I, if I'm losing his fear of judgment, yeah. no, nah, I'd rather keep it. It's not a loss. Right. All right, yeah. let's, keep, let's keep it. You need an authority. Yeah. You need authorities in your life. ...to live an intellectually honest life. Exploring science and philosophy openly and honestly yeah, is extremely rewarding for a lot of people. I'm one of those people. But unfortunately, a lot of religions don't allow their followers to do that. You've missed... I mean, you know, the, the fact of the matter is that tell that to all of the uh, intellectually honest Christians who are scientists and philosophers. Yeah. I mean, we, we that, that just strikes me as... I don't know what yeah. you're saying. I, I think apologists typically, they get called liars a lot in YouTube comments, but they're most apologists I know are the most intellectually honest people that I know in academia more so than other people um, because they've been put through the ringer over and over and over again, whereas if you're a systematic theologian, you're not dealing with arguments tearing to trying to tear down the faith on a regular basis it's almost daily now that i'm yeah. told i'm dishonest because i bring resurrection right, but arguments you're one of the, but, but i think arguments. i think the intellectual honesty in the apologetics community community is head and shoulders above others because we we listen to you atheists mm -hmm. we entertain your arguments you know and 
we consider them and we consider are our responses good enough? Not we'd have to abandon our beliefs, mm-hmm. right? So there's something about apologetics and philosophers and scientists, Christians who are in science, who are surrounded by a culture of naturalism, right? And the fact that they maintain their beliefs is a sign that they're intellectually honest. And the fact that their communities try to shut down their research and poo-poo intelligent design arguments and everything else, no matter how much holes they punch through Darwinian theories and everything else, shows how intellectually dishonest everyone else is, except for the Christian scientist, except for the Christian philosopher, except for the Christian... Well, it doesn't mean everyone else is being intellectually dishonest, but it does mean they're being intellectually honest. No, I no. I think that I think you're gonna stand by it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move forward. They're suppressing uh, presuppositionalism. They're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Yeah. They're being dishonest. Needs to receive evidence-based mental health treatment if you've ever received faith-based ones. You've wasted. Okay. Uh, on the original video, I actually made reference to his thoughts on this issue, and uh, I was saying how for my DMN program, I had to read a book that thick. Uh, from the Christian Counselors Association of America or whatever, and how these people very much have to abide by, you know, government-mandated guidelines. Um, they, they, they go to the same conferences that the secular ones go to, the, the psychologists and therapists and counselors that are Christians. They, they know all about that stuff, and that, this, that what he's saying here betrays an, uh, what seems to be a lack of awareness about the rich discussion among Christians, like is it biblical counseling, integrationist counseling, what's going on all, with all of that? And um, and I still think that is the case, but someone did message me uh, as we're making this video and said that they think genetically modified skeptic has some kind of a qualification as a Christian counselor. But if that's true, then he should know what I just said, you know? Wasted time receiving treatments that haven't been proven to work, and you probably would have been better off if you would have received evidence-based treatments all the time. You've missed opportunities to do good in the world, not because you're divinely commanded to, but just because you want to. Doing something now we already talked about. We've already covered this because you've been told to takes out a lot of the joy of doing it. I know that as an atheist, I feel a lot better doing good things for people than I did when I was a Christian. Okay, hold on there. That's just pride now right <laughs> we feel good because we recognized we wouldn't have maybe done that in ourselves but god's working through us yeah. we're doing it on his behalf in his name right right he's saying look how wonderful i am i did it all because i'm so awesome i don't know that that's what he's saying but it sounded like it sounds like he feels better about it doing it because but god okay there are proverbs you know uh that you could argue uh, there are things in the Mosaic Law Code about, you know, give charity, give poor, don't trim the edges of your field, let let people pick that up and all of mm-hmm. that. Stuff. Um, yeah, it's good to, you know, the Bible reflects the goodness of generosity, you know, even, even codified in the law and the commandments. Yeah, um, and plus, if you raise your children— with the awareness, hey, that's the law that we do this and that and the other thing. Guess what? That maps their brain to be that kind of person when they're older. Right. So whether you think it's, oh, be- look how wonderfully good I am and versus I'm good because God is 
sanctifying me. Yeah. What's the difference? Good's still happening in the world, and we're giving other people credit for it rather than ourselves, which yeah. seems more humble right. and less arrogant. But, I mean, I'm glad that he's doing good in the world, and I'm glad that I'm doing whatever good I can do in the world when I loan somebody five bucks. All right, let's keep trucking here. For the more fundamentalist believers, you've missed out on being able to value all people equally. Without wow. religious dogma, there's no reason to look down upon people or think that any one group should be subservient to any other. You miss chances to build relationships with people that your religion tells you to shun, discriminate against, Wrong. or just stay away from. I'm sure millions of great friendships have been lost because two people's differing gods told them to stay away from yeah, each and, other. Well, <laughs> or or atheists and liberals don't want to hang out right around with their Christian friends because of a difference of opinion. No, it's usually, see, some of that might apply to other religions. With Christianity, you build relationships to share the gospel um, because you love people and you want to be friends with people. As apologists, we build relationships with non-believers so that we can engage in dialogue and yeah. mutual respect. Christianity is comfortable in the marketplace of ideas. And right. to give you a picture of how this works so it's not confusing when you read the Bible, in the Old Testament, Israel was told to stay away from these other nations that are around them, these other peoples who did not worship Yahweh. They were told not to intermingle with them. You know why? They didn't have the uh, indwelling of the Holy Spirit in their lives yet. So whenever they got around those people, it happened that they would invariably get drawn away into idolatry. Yes. However, in the New Testament, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and He acts as a reformer in our lives so that we actually can intermingle with those other people who do not worship Yahweh, and we hopefully will impact them because of the operation of the and Spirit. I'll, and also going back real quick to the Imago Dei versus just another animal in the animal kingdom, we have a foundation for showing respect of all types of people regardless of uh, their religion, regardless of their sexual orientation, everything else. We have a foundation for why we have that. All right, let's hear the next thing that he has to say. You miss the opportunity to advance human rights instead of fight against them. I'm sure a lot of religious fundamentalists would fight for the advancement of human rights if it weren't for their religion. But unfortunately, because they follow their fundamentalist sect, they probably do a whole lot more harm than good in that area. Theists so say that from abolition, abolitionists like John Woolman all the way, you know, uh, Wilbur, uh, William Wilberforce, they never fought for human rights. Right, I mean, I, people, Christians, you know, fundamentalists, they don't. Yeah, he, he's probably, I mean, he has to be thinking particularly of probably the gay rights stuff that's going on now no, before, and the racial on. stuff of the 20, you know, 20th century and before. Oh, you mean the civil rights movement that was religious people too, okay. Yeah, but, but here's what I would say, and what I did say in the other video in passing about his view on this, is most of the people who carry the label atheist, mm -hmm. I don't know that all, but I'm guessing, I'm guessing here most, certainly seems like most, um, are also in the pro-choice camp. Mm -hmm. If we consider that a human rights issue... Yeah, you're then, in the wrong one. Then, the, the wrong then it, by the millions, yeah. by the millions, we see that as a huge human rights issue that... Mostly religious people are championing. Now, let's not have short memories, though. Let's have long memories. Uh, did Christians own slaves? Sure. Did Christians fight for the uh, emancipation of slaves? Yes. Did Christians like the Jim Crow laws? Yes. Did Christians fight the Jim Crow laws? Yes. Um, Christians have fought for human rights. Islam, not, not, not the greatest track record on that. The Christians... The fundamentalists he's talking about. Mm -hmm. I mean, prior to evangelicalism, they were all fundamentalists in a sense. You know. Yeah. Um, 
but even okay before gay marriage was legalized did a gay man have every single right that I had yes a gay man could have married a woman just like I had the right to marry a woman yeah but you do feel the uh, universal rolling of the eyes at that that comes across the internet because it's like okay fine they had the right to marry someone of the opposite sex but they didn't have the right to marry the person that they wanted to marry. Right. And again, that, but does that matter? Does that mean, you know, that we were opposing rights for people? No, you, marriage means between a man and a woman historically, mm -hmm. right? And then people decided it's going to mean between two people under the law. But see, this is why, and I don't mean to get political about this. I don't see this as a political issue, but an issue that's been politicized. The yeah. fact is, I'm with Ben Shapiro's view on this, which is, why does the government have anything to do with marriage? The, I, I agree that this is a religious ceremony, should be carried out in religious places of worship. Yeah. And don't worry about it, government. Right. We can imagine other rights that in several years someone might, wish to have that don't currently exist as rights for anybody because they're not things. And in a few years time, if someone wants to have that right, we could make laws that allow for any number of possible rights going forward. The fact that we don't have some of those now doesn't mean we're restricting someone's rights. It means we recognize currently that those aren't things. So we, um, I, I think we've done a fair job with this list. Uh, I want to close by reading a couple of emails, one from a Christian and one from an atheist. What do you think about that? Not emails, okay. uh, YouTube comments. Uh, we appreciate you, and uh, this just goes to show that we have rules for our YouTube comments because it's our YouTube channel, and if you start with an insult or you say something profane or something like that, your your comment probably won't stick around. Well, but I, I don't know. I might, I might do a... People want me to do my own video, so I might mm -hmm. just sit there and read all the things they say bad about you <laughs> in the video. That'd be fine. Yeah. But so here's from uh, one of our YouTube listeners, presumably a Christian, to the and this is on the genetically modified skeptic video that came before this one that we're currently you're right. currently watching. They said, I love listening to you logically deconstruct popular arguments that are usually asserted with such confidence, all caps. He who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him, Proverbs eighteen seven. And they say, I've listened to nearly all of these kinds of videos on your channel. You and Jonathan make a great and sometimes funny, sometimes we're funny, yeah. uh, team. But I still do, in all caps, really enjoy listening to you all on your own as well, though, because your wide breadth of knowledge is truly instructional. Thank you so much, YouTube commenter that was nice to us. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Uh, but then I want to read to you from an atheist commenter here. Uh, this person says, Braxton. Ever since your Dillahunty debate, I've come to enjoy your debate, review, response videos. I'm a staunch anti-theist and fundamentally disagree with the context of what you say. But I love the way you say it and, it and the integrity with which you use. You may see some of my other comments from time to time, and I try to hold myself to the same standard. However, some of the newer YouTube atheists are extremely derivative of what I think are the more original and intellectual voices in the secular community. Then he puts in parentheses, Sam Harris or Matt Dillahunty. Which kind of flies in the face of intellectually honest uh, of uh, flies in the face of intellectually honest 
honest, intellectual honesty, sorry. While I enjoy this particular video, you could have easily replaced genetically modified skeptic with quote, atheist X on YouTube, and it would largely be the same. Do you come to a similar conclusion when looking at these channels, videos, or do you have a different take? And no, I, I have his take. I, well, <laughs> I responded by saying, well, we kind of did a joint response, but I commented. And I said, first of all, I do pick people who people send me to talk about who I think do represent large swaths of the atheist community because understand something, while we do want to be more, uh, we do want to be clear and we do want to be academic in our responses and everything, we're not, the reason, what the people we're responding to, as I've said in other videos, are people who we think are serving as evangelists for atheism in a certain sense, people yeah. who are making a big impact. So Austin Dacey, you mentioned, as uh, one of the more academically rigorous atheist voices out there. Yeah. I'd love to speak with Austin Dacey, but frankly, I don't think Austin Dacey is making the impact that someone like Genetically Modified Skeptic is making yeah. just merely on view count yeah. and popularity. So that's the kind of the people we go after. Now, because Genetically Modified Skeptic, uh, his popular video is if uh, atheists argued like apologists, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's actually a clever it's video. It's clever. It's very clever. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll, like you said at the top, I, I do like this kid, um, but listening to this video of, uh, number one, I guess I'm just one of those diehards for uh, Pascal's. You love your Pascal, man. Yeah, uh, but, and I, I know people give him, it's like, it's like uh, Anselm, you know, mm -hmm. that the ontological. Yeah. Was, some of us are like, yeah, the you know, we actually, that's our, our you know. Well, we it's like amazing because it always yeah. shocked me that some of the more rigorous philosophers out there that become theists, uh, sometimes yeah. they'll credit the ontological argument. Yeah, and but when, not Anselm. When you first, but, no, 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 the more like the Alvin Plantinga right. later stuff. But when you, but when you, when you first get into this stuff and you start listening to the, I understand why people misunderstand it so often. Right. It's very difficult. Take some time to figure out what exactly is being yeah. said. But here, his wager, I, I could only actually agree Granite's premise once, and that was on the thought crime and judgmental thought crime thing, like God's policing our thoughts. That's fine, but again, uh, but, worse uh, than hell? Yeah, but, but also, <laughs> no, it's actually better that you have somebody do that. And so with that uh, and with the, um, with the human rights thing and with the thought crime, those are the only things he might have thought that he had purchased, but turns out, Actually, Christianity is way better. Take, forget hell. I know the thing is hell for eternal or or even Christianity's benefit is hell. Is you have, you don't have to go to hell, right? And atheism's benefits are all these things that you miss right. out on. Yeah, take away hell. Mm -hmm. It's still better still, to be a Christian. It's still better to be a Christian. So that's what we have to say about that. Uh, also, we'd like you to check out our sister podcasts. Uh, some of you listen to my response videos, but you don't listen to Trinity Radio. Shame on you. Don't you just love this adorable fuzzball sitting next to me? You can get him every week on Trinity Radio. And so check out those videos. There's a back catalog that goes back several years. Just a while ago, we were talking about an old episode we had on weird cults. That is probably one of my top three favorite all-time videos yeah. on Trinity Radio. And it doesn't have that many views because when we released it, not as many people knew about our channel. Yeah, so and, and recently, uh, we also on BraxisHunter.com have some of the older audio versions of the podcast, but maybe our YouTube yeah. viewers haven't. Go check it out. We, BraxisHunter.com slash podcast. Right, because people were on the forum talking about nine marks, nine marks. What do y'all think about nine marks? Oh, we did that like we did years a podcast ago. Well, with special guest Paul Cooper. Yeah, uh, So, and if, especially if you like more of the theology stuff, we've taken a real 
uh, hard turn to focusing almost exclusively on apologetics lately, but uh, the, if you're into theological debates and theology issues, the back catalog is chock full of it. Um, also, there's a verse by verse of the entire book of Genesis. Not quite the entire book, but there's like 37 hours. I haven't finished it yet. Yeah, you um, have a thing to finish. I have a thing to finish. He's got a few episodes on first. Guys, Peter. we're busy. Yeah. Guys, we do get busy around here. We do work for a seminary. So, but check out our sister podcasts that you may not be aware of. The Bible Brodown with Matt Chisholm and Billy Wendland. Also, um, <coughs> Leighton Flowers at Soteriology 101 and Steve Gregg's The Narrow Path. Now, he does have a verse by verse to the entire Bible. Yeah. So you want to check that out on his website. It also has a YouTube channel. Um, until then, we'll see you next time on Trinity Radio. Trinity Radio. Were you waiting on me to I say was waiting, yeah. Trinity Radio.